I guess I get commercial time too. Uh, I, uh, the book of Ephesians, I'll be teaching the book of Ephesians, Lord willing, and uh, uh, it is a book that is so, uh, Pastor Todd quotes it a lot, I quote it a lot, we've used that those passages. However, it is so advantageous to begin at the beginning of Ephesians and walk through that whole thing together and go to the, the practical part at the end. The first three chapters are doctrine. By the way, outside of the book of Romans, the best de definition and description of, of doctrine is in Ephesians, the first three chapters. And the last three chapters are about practical application. I've used those talking about speech, talking about raising children. We've used those as a family. And so those are a tremendous book. Uh, we'll be teaching that, so if you'd like to be here for that, you can sign up out there. And they'll probably put us in a closet over here somewhere, but we'll see where we are. But I'm looking forward to teaching, and I, I appreciate you coming. You're, you've come on Sunday nights. I thank you for that. Uh, I, I appreciate so much Pastor Todd giving me this opportunity because so often when I have done this outside of our church, you have one or two services to do it, and it's very difficult. This is, he's given me a long period of time to uh, plumb the depths of family, and I've appreciated that so much. I hope it's been helpful and practical for you. And tonight we're going to talk about preparing your children for the road. Uh, Phyllis Pinkston, I don't know if Phyllis is here tonight, but one time we were having a conversation about teaching children. And she was a teacher in a Christian school. And she said, one of the things that makes our approach different is this. Uh, many people want to prepare the road for their children. We prepare our children for the road. That's a great statement. In other words, to understand that the road out there, we need to be, be aware of what it is. We need to be uh, preparing our children for the road. Now, as we look at the, the process of raising our children, there are two ditches, a ditch on both sides of the road, I would say. One ditch says, I'm just too busy with my life and my recreation and my job and all these things to spend much time with the family. I'll let somebody else do that. I'll send them to school or I'll the youth pastor uh, or somebody will do the job that I'm supposed to do. And, of course, that's wrong. Uh, the, other, the other one would say, uh, well, I'm, I, we'll just build our life around the children. That, that's the main thing. We'll just do this about the kids. Every, everything's about the kids. Uh, no time for husband and wife. By the way, divorce. The first uh, milestone is five years. Guess what the second one is? 25 years. What happens at 25 years? The children leave home. And you, the, the, you look across the table and say, I wonder who that person is across the table from me. I know I know them. I know their face, but I can't know much about them. You see, to, to make that... the And then the other thing is being helicopter parent, parents. Uh, you know, going around and taking care of all the things for your kid. When they get in trouble, you go and fuss at the teacher. And, you know, all the stuff, you make sure that everything is just, just the, everything they want, everything they need is being supplied. And that is wrong. And the, the other thing that we see sometimes is I'm everything my kids need. Hey, I can teach them everything. Boy, that is arrogance of the worst sort. I figured that out right away. I couldn't teach them all they needed. And so this passage is built around the idea of how God has designed that we prepare our children for the road. What do we do? Now, if you look in, in, uh, first, in Psalm 127, short, a short chapter, 
but very insightful about this subject. And let me just let me just read that. Follow along with me as I read it. It says this: Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Yo, lo, children are inheritors of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, and they shall speak with the enemies of the gate. A very short chapter but one that's filled with tremendous information for us. The first thing is in, in your Bible, you may see this idea above this thing. It's called a psalm of degrees. How many of you have that written in your text above the, the psalm? Some of you do. What that means is that this is a psalm. All those psalms, of course, are psalms. And they would sing this as they approached the temple. As they went to the temple to worship, they would sing the psalms. And this is one that related to the home and the family as they, as they approached the, 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 the uh, temple. And I, was, I thought about that. I thought, you know what? It would be a wonderful thing as we approach the house of God on Sunday if we did something like that with our children. To expect God's blessing. To, re, to mention some truth of things. When I, when I was, a uh, church was small and, and I, I was standing out in front the, the, at a porch out there. And we had a, a driveway coming up to the porch. And so I stood out there every Sunday morning, you know, rain or shine. I was out there greeting people as they came up. And uh, I remember very well looking at, in the car windows. And there was, <laughs> until they saw me. And then they went, <laughs> you know. Now, I know none of you do that. I, I'm sure you're too mature and you've grown the Lord so much. You don't ever do that. But uh, it was obvious that, you know, somebody didn't find their shoes. You know, why did you wear that shirt this morning? You know, all those kind of things that come up in the car as you're coming to church. Why not prepare your heart and the heart of the children for the service? And then as you go home, why not say, hey, buddy, what did you learn this morning? What did the teacher say this morning that helped you? Tell us about that. Preparing our children for the road, the song of degrees. Now, notice the first thing. Oh, she corrected it. I had a typo. And she, thank you, Christine. Christine's marvelous. Um, Pastors do make mistakes in their, their outlines. Verse 1, look at this. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Uh, we cannot successfully build our family without God's help. Now, notice it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It doesn't say we don't labor. Uh, we need to put ourselves out. We need to put that as a priority in our life to be with our children, to teach our children, to make sure they're doing the right things. We'll talk about that in detail in a bit. But the idea is we need to be diligent about our, our child rearing. But God has a plan how to do that. God's plan is the right plan. And if we're going to have a successful family, we need to do it God's way. Now here's something else. Now listen carefully. When we do it God's way, we have the power of God working in our family. Somebody say amen. amen. That's exactly the way it works. You know, I think it was James Dobson who said, if God needed perfect parents to raise good kids, it wouldn't be any good kids. Isn't that the truth? Every parent say amen. amen. Understand that. You know, 
we take too much credit and too much blame. Uh, God is the one who makes the difference. God is the one who speaks to our children. And without the plan that God has laid out. And by the way, there's so many passages of scripture that deal specifically with the home. We've, we've shared a number of those these weeks. Uh, that we need to understand that God has a plan. But when God is working in our home, when we're doing it God's way, then God works in our, for an hour half. We labor and God builds. Doesn't mean that we should not be diligent. It means the opposite. We do everything we can do. But remember, when we have done all that we can do, then we need the power of God to come in and work in our children's lives. You cannot change anybody's heart. Only God can do that. When we do it God's way, that's why problem solving is such an issue. You know, we try to solve problems our way and they don't work out. And we know, we understand that God is the one who sets up the way that things work. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It doesn't mean that man's best effort without God's blessing will not, it means that we will not succeed. They'll not, the children will not be what they should be unless we try to raise them for God. God blesses our diligence. It does suggest that after God, after we do our best, we rest on God's promise. Look at verse two. He says, it is vain for you to rise up, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he giveth his beloved sleep. That is when we've done our best, we say, Lord, I've done my best. I told you the little prayer that I prayed so often when I was raising my children. Lord, if you'll just show me what to do, I'll do it. Doesn't matter what it is, I'll do it. If you'll just show me, I'll do it. And when we put ourselves in that place, and please understand, I am, I am not a perfect parent. I was not a perfect parent. Uh, we did not have perfect children. Uh, you know, all that is, don't, don't assume that I think we did. But I'm just saying that God uses his own power when we do our best to do what we can't do and that he gives us sleep. That is, we have done the best, Lord, I've done the best I could. Lord, I've, I've taught him the best I could. And let me tell you something. My youngest grandson, my youngest grandson started college yesterday. Where did all that come from? All those years, think about it. All my children are over 50 years old. That makes me really old. So understand that this time goes so quickly. And you know, I've never heard anybody say, I wish I'd spent more time at work. I wish I'd just given myself more to my fun activities and you know, done things. But I've heard many, many parents say, I wish that I'd spent more time with my family. I wish I'd given myself more to my children and to help raise them and teach them what God wanted them to do. It says, except God watched the city, the Lord watched the city. One of the parent burdens we have as parents, and I remember so well, uh, I'm old, but I don't, I don't forget that kind of stuff. When my kids are old enough to drive, and you send them out, and you know, I had three, three. My three kids are, are less than three years apart. My oldest was like 12 days, being three. My youngest was born as one. Two of them was in the middle, so we had three kids in three years. So they all hit teenager about the same time. And I remember distinctly sending them out in the car, and uh, I remember the feeling of. of 
you know, of all the things we think about is to, to protect our children, right? We want, we want them to be safe. We don't want anything to, terrible to happen to them, you know? But the fact is, once they get in the car and leave, you don't have a lot of things you can do about that. And you can teach them. Uh, one of my children, who remained anonymous, wanted a certain car. And against my better judgment, I said, okay, I'll buy you that car. And I did. And I said, but the first time you get a ticket or I hear of you driving recklessly, the car is gone. And guess what happened? <laughs> yep, wasn't very long. And I got a report and guess what happened? The car was gone. Because I wanted to protect him. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to be mean. I, heaven's sakes, I bought him a car. But I'm not going to let him hurt himself. But understand, I, I remember telling some of them, I have, we have one daughter. I, I told her, look, you know, you're going to go out here and, you know, sometimes you go out with a guy or something and go out friends. And I said, you can call me day or night, any place. I'll come get you. Uh, just call me. Because I, I was concerned about her. I, but let me tell you something else. If my children were doing wrong, I wanted to know it. Listen to me now. Listen to me. Pastor Hurst and I worked in Christian school. And part of that was discipline of children in the Christian school. We had a school of over 900 kids. It was a big school. And we had big problems sometimes. And in the process of discipline, often, we would have a parent come into the office and confront them with their children's wrong. And you know, amazing thing, Christians don't believe their kids are doing wrong. I could tell you stories. If I could tell you stories that I know, you would, you'd just scratch your head. My dad said, you scratch your head into an itch. You know, that what people believe. Uh, we've had kids in our youth group here who did, who did something wrong. And we we met, I met with a youth pastor, the, pa, the, the parents, and the, the kid. And the, the kid was as guilty as sin and... Everybody knew it except the parents, and they, they declared he, that he was, instead of drinking liquor, he was doing his mouthwash. Really? I didn't make that up. Now listen, if someone helps you to see a fault of your children and thank them for it, ooh, it gets awfully quiet, doesn't it? Because we want to protect our kids. We want to think they're perfect. My friend, they aren't perfect. And the time you have to help them is so short. And quickly, quickly pass it along. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late. Do your best and then rest in God. And say, God, I've done my best. And I pray you'll protect them and you'll bring them home safely. And we pray that, we do that, but it is vain for us to sit around and worry about it because there's not one thing we can do, but God can do things. And we ask for God's help. Now notice verse number three. Lo, children are inherited to the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. When society is right, when society operates on a biblical concept, then children are not considered a burden, but they're considered a blessing. And for parents, for Christian parents, children not only should be seen as a blessing, but they should be seen as a challenge and an opportunity. God has put into your hands a precious life. And by the way, all life is precious. Amen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
This whole thing, the, the, the fact that America can murder millions of children and people feel good about it. But what's more frightening than that is that over half of the population of the United States believe abortion is fine. It's become a huge political issue if you don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. It is a huge issue now because of the Supreme Court throughout the, the thing. It, it, but understand, life is precious. Every single one is precious. And if God has given you a child or children, every single one of them is a gift from God. Their children are a gift from God. Children are the heritage of the Lord, a valuable possession. An opportunity to impact generations to come. Uh, I'm 78 years old. My ministry is coming to an end. I mean, I get no sense to know that, you know, I won't live as long as I have lived probably unless I'm lived to be 150. Uh, but, but you know what? My legacy is my children. My legacy is the three children that God gave us. Two are pastors. One is married to a pastor and they're serving God today. We had an opportunity to prepare them. Now, let me tell you something else. They grew up loving the ministry. Every, every single one of them loved the ministry. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, the preacher's kids hate the ministry. They loved, they loved the ministry. They, they couldn't wait to be a part of it. They've all given their lives to ministry now. But the thing that I have to remember is I will probably never pastor another church. But my two sons do. And by the way, my oldest grandson just became a senior pastor of a church in Ithaca, New York. So now we have three generations as pastors. Now, folk, that's not how great we are. That's how great a God we serve. And it's the fact that when we raise our kids, we raise them to love the Lord and to love the ministry. And we try to do our best to raise them the way they could. So now, my legacy is my children and my grandchildren. And by the way, we have three great-grandchildren. My, young, my youngest great-grandchild is, what, a month old? Uh, yesterday, month old, he was on Lake Lanier in a life jacket and a fishing hat. Yesterday. <laughs> That's a little tribute. Now, verse number four paints an interesting metaphor. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, what do we know about arrows? Well, we know the first thing we know about arrows is they're meant to be used. They're meant to be spent. An arrow is no good in the, in the quiver. It's only useful as it is sent out. What else do we know? Well, arrows go where we cannot go. Where the archer who send the arrows cannot go, the arrow goes. Number three, we know that crooked sticks do not grow into straight arrows. Uh, a crooked stick, if you, if you made an arrow out of a crooked stick, the arrow would not go where you aim it. So we learn things about arrows. So it's interesting that that is the metaphor that he uses here. So what we learn is that arrows have to be prepared. I saw a poster one time, I forget where I saw it, but I, it, 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 it spoke to me. It said this, our children need two things. They need roots and they need wings. And I thought, wow, that's good. 
Our children need to know who they are, to know they're loved, know that God has put them into our home, and that we love them and want them to be good for God. They need to know that. And then we need to prepare them to be sent out, to prepare them for the road. And that's one of the things that, again, some parents hold on to their children. Our children, for, for many years, uh, were close. We had uh, Robin Swellen, my daughter and her husband, were here in the church, I think 13 years. So our grandchildren were two blocks away from us. My oldest son, Jeremy, started a church up in Canton, Illinois, uh, Canton, Illinois, Canton, Georgia, which on the other side of Atlanta, it was an hour and a half away, but in Atlanta, an hour and a half is nothing, right? But that was an hour and a half away. He went to West Hartford, Connecticut to be a pastor. My daughter and husband are in Lake Mills, Wisconsin. That's 13 hours by car. It's an hour and 39 minutes by Delta. But, and by the way, my, my son Brian is in Nashville. Well, he was in Macon as a, as a teacher, Christian school teacher. He was a football coach and a teacher. He, he coached football for, I think, six or seven years there in Macon. And we used to go down Saturday nights to the ball, Friday nights to the ball games, you know, and feed the ball team steaks, stuff like that. And uh, it was great. Have them close. They were close. And guess what happened? God had other plans for them. And by the way, yes, Lord, I understand. That's what I want. Doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I think sometimes about children who go to the mission field. What a wonderful thing to be sent out for the Lord. Uh, one of the things we prayed when we started the church, we believed in Matthew, it says, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. So the goal of our church ought to be to send forth laborers, as Pastor Todd mentioned this morning. But, listen to me, the, the, the goal of our families ought to be sending out laborers into the harvest. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be pastors or missionaries or school teachers. It means that wherever they go and whatever they do, they're going to be something for God. But they must be prepared. The arrows, the point must be sharp. The, the shaft must be straight. And the feathers must be adequate. We must straighten them. We must prepare them. We must point them straighten them a crooked stick will never make a good arrow so with our children if I ask you as a parent and you have children in the home tell me your children's weak areas you should know it if you have one child or eight ten children you should know each one of them the weaknesses they have they, have their, they all come to us as crooked sticks. And part of our job is to straighten that stick into something that is useful for God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we recognize the problem areas and deal with them. We, we, don't, we don't think they're just cute. Uh, you know, we don't think, we don't think, we just overlook it. They're just kids, you know, they can do it. I mean, listen, teach your kids to work. Uh, kids are lazy. Somebody say amen. amen. And the kids didn't say amen. They have to learn how to work. Why? Because one day they'll have to leave the house and work. That's what they're supposed to do anyway, right? Is leave the house and get a job and work. They have to learn how 
to work. They have to learn promptness, to be on time, to be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. That's a good quality. Learn manners. I still believe that children ought to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. That's right. I know that's Southern for you Northern people, but I think it's a good thing, isn't it? To speak, to speak to older people with respect, uh, not to be short with them or to ignore them, but rather to speak with politeness. Teach them to listen. Don't allow them, when you're talking to them, to be, have their phone in their hand or the television on or being playing Xbox. Make them turn it off and look at me in the eyes. I remember... Some of you know, some of you went to Pensacola Christian College, right? Dr. Arlen Horton taught me a lesson that I never forgot. I worked at Camp uh, the Pines a couple of years. We were friends. I knew him for years. And uh, when a child came up to, to, talk to, to talk to them, I wish I had a child close by to show you. Um, oh, she's sweet. I would do that to her. Uh, is there an ornery boy around I could use? We've got an ornery boy. Come on up here, ornery boy. I'm going to show you parents a little secret. This kid is eager. Eager. Thank you, boy. He's really a good boy. But I needed somebody to show you this trick. Now, when you see your, your, your boy, he's in front of you, and you're, you're trying to impress him with some great fact, some idea. Maybe he was bad, and you were telling him how bad he was, or you're trying to get him to pay attention to you. And you know what little boys do when you start doing that? They, they don't look at you. Here's how to make them look at you every time. You take two fingers, you put it right there, and you squeeze it. Now look down. Now look up. <laughs> Thank you, son. And I learned that from Arlen Horton. And when, when they're talking to you, they look at you in the eyes. When you talk to them, they look at you. They don't look at other things. They don't want to look at their phone. So teach them to listen. Teach them compassion. By the way, some of these things are better learned from you than being taught. In other words, if you are a compassionate person, when you make fun of people who are struggling or something, your kids pick up on that thing. Be a person of compassion, a person with love. We, as Christians, we need to be people. They will know we're his disciples because we have love one for another. So, Straighten them out. Get that, get that shaft straight. Work on those things. But you have to know what they are. It's amazing. When I've had private conversations with parents, I'll say, well, uh, tell me, what is the week? I don't know. We should know. You live with them. You see them every day. Maybe you're blind to it, or maybe you don't want to see it. But the fact is, your teacher may see it at school. I always say, you know, it's, it's really funny. Uh, you know, every kid who is four years old is a prodigy, and they're a genius. And they, they just are so smart that they're just gonna be blow every, every and, and they come up in school that first week with a frowny face on their, on their paper. And you know, you, know, you know what happened, don't you? Somebody tell me. Who's blamed? The teacher. And the teacher didn't understand my child. You know, if, if she just knew how brilliant my child was, I wouldn't get these frowny faces. No. Learn how 
to teach them compassion. So straighten them out. Deal with the issues. Understand that very quickly, they're going to be beyond your help. They're going to be beyond your grasp. I mean, after a while, uh, you know, next week we're going to talk about discipline. Let me say this carefully. We begin discipline very early with the children, and by the time they're eight or nine years old, the job should be pretty much done. I mean, if, you know, maybe I said this last week. Let me say it again. We have, we have an issue when they're two years old. You ever heard of the terrible twos? It's a real thing. And I tell you, if, if, if you don't learn to control your children at that age, they may get, grow out of it a little bit, and they do a little bit around three, you know, four, but it comes back again. And it comes back again. It takes more effort, more difficulty to get it fixed. It comes back again when they're 12 with the vengeance, particularly the boys. The boys suddenly want to be men. You know, they want to strut around and they want to, then mama, who was their favorite person for all those years, that didn't have any sense. Dad has to step up. And if you don't fix it when they're 12, oh my goodness. First of all, you've about lost the battle. But the next thing is when they're 16 or so, that's when it really, boy, if you hadn't fixed it by then, you've really got a problem. It takes too much effort. It takes too much, whatever, angst to fix it. So fix it, work on it, make sure that you, the Bible, here's the Bible. It's, it's, you know, it's, the Bible has an answer for everything. If we just know where it is and pay attention to it, here's what it says. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, not depart from it. Notice that phrase. We always want to talk about he will not depart from it. That's not the point of that phrase. Here's the point of it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. So our children are unique. Every child is unique. Ephesians 3, 2 says that they were, they were made the way God wanted them to be made to accomplish God's purpose. So all of them are a gift from God. They're a heritage, a challenge for you to take those children and do your very best to fix the things that hold them back that are going to be a problem. And the little things that are so funny and so cute aren't cute when they're 12 years old. We have to fix it when they're early. Then it says, then I say the point, the point of the arrow. Uh, we have to, once, once the shaft is straight, we have to make sure the point is sharp. If we believe that God makes our children unique and that God has fashioned them perfectly, we are his workmanship, the Greek word is poema, what does that sound like? Where it sounds like poem. That we, God has made them exactly the way they should be with the gifts, with the, with the, with the hindrances, all the things that God has made them that way, then we have to understand that God wants us to help them to sharpen their skills where they're good. Uh, we, you know, recognize their interest as they're growing. I mean, you know, um, some of you may have seen the music man, and they were, he was trying to sell instruments to, to the parents of the kids. And the little kid came up and said, I like music, mommy. And the sister said, I like music, mommy. And the guy said, isn't that amazing? Two children of the same family with perfect pitch. Uh, by the way, that's not good. If you didn't know what that was, that wasn't good, perfect pitch. 
But understand, what are they interested in? What, what excites... But look, kids are different. Uh, we, we, we've said many times, you may have heard me say this, but uh, we have three. Three kids living in the same home could not be more different than my three. I mean, if you knew them as I know them, as Pastor Hurst knows them, they are so different from each other, you, you'd say they must have been dropped out of a tree or something. I mean, they're just different. But, but you know, as a parent, that's a good thing. What I, what I acknowledge is God made them. And God made them different. My oldest son, Jeremy, is now a senior pastor. Oh, he's a good preacher. He really is. I'm, I'm proud of this, but he's a good preacher and a good pastor. But his interest, his interest growing up was, was speech and drama and all that kind of stuff. And, and by the way, he also almost got a degree in business, too, because he, he loved the, the administrative part of life. So that makes a good pastor. My daughter was a musician. She loved singing and playing the violin and playing the piano and singing was her life. I mean, she just loved music and loved, her voice teacher was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, she was a wonderful musician and she is today. My youngest son was a mess. No, he, <laughs> no, he, my youngest son was an athlete. I mean, if, if there was anything that there was a team for, he would be, if it's a Tidlewicks team, he was on the team. Uh, he was all conference in football. He made NFL, some or other, some or other football. When he was on football, he was all conference. He was an amazing player. He played basketball, he played baseball. He played everything. That's what it, that was. Sports was his thing. So <laughs> he was pre-med for three years. And, and he blew it away. I mean, he just, he, he's also very, very smart, in spite of the fact that all the other things are true. And, and he just blew it away. I mean, most, most kids struggle with pyramid. Not him. He bruised through it. But the end of his junior year, he said, Dad, I don't want to be a doctor. I sent you to college. I pay all this money for you to go to college to be a doctor. Now you don't want to be a doctor. And you know, I didn't find out until the last five years why. By the way, my, all of my children changed their major except my daughter. Both boys changed their major. Both of them did. Uh, but when they did, I made them tell me why. Give me, a, give me a reason. I want to know. I want it to be reasonable. But my son gave me a reason, but it wasn't the real reason. So this was, this was in the last five. We were sitting around our table at our house here in Atlanta. I think it was the Thanksgiving time. And my son, Brian, said, Dad, you know why I want to change my major after my junior year? I said, well, I don't know. You said you don't want to be a doctor. He said, no. He said, I was a counselor at the Wilds this last summer, that summer. And he said, my heart was so broken for those kids and was so touched by the fact that somebody needs to reach out to those kids. Many of those kids who come to the Wilds go back to terrible homes. Uh, they go back to churches that don't encourage their, their life. And he said, Dad, I had to do something about that. Now, that was a shock to me. But my son... Well, he worked as a Christian school teacher in Macon, Georgia for six years. And then he was, he was headmaster of Lighthouse Christian School in Nashville, Tennessee for 27 years. So you see, God had made them what, he, what they are. God had prepared them. That, that heart for kids, the, the musical ability my daughter has, my oldest son, the speech and the administrative ability that God gave him. We must learn to recognize that. And to focus on that. And to, to, to be encouraging. To, to be at their ball games, To be at the plays. To, 
go, my, my daughter was taking violin lessons. I would go every, every week with her to her violin lesson. I'd sit outside and listen. And after the violin lesson, we'd stop by Baskin Robbins and get ice cream cones. You know, that was our thing. And she still talks about it. She still likes peanut butter and chocolate ice cream because that's what we used to get after her violin lesson, see. But it, it means that you prepare them, you sharpen the skills, you pay the money, you spend the time. And let me say this, be, be particular. Put the money where it's going to do something. You know, I, I know I'm a musician, I'm sorry, but you, you can use music for the Lord forever. But you're not going to play soccer forever. You know, uh, there are things that, that we sometimes make a priority that really there are things that, you know, the, the speech thing to my son, dear Jeremy, God knew he was going to be a preacher. God knew what he was going to do with him. I didn't know, but I used to encourage that. Uh, my youngest son, Brian, you know, I, he was an athlete. And I, my goodness, we, we drove all over the world to go to his ball games. That was what we did. When he graduated, we almost had nothing to do because that's what we always did the ball games. So guide them with parental wisdom. There's something else. Teach them. Teach them courage and decision-making. We have too many 18-year-olds who have no idea what they want to do or what life's all about or can't make a decision about anything. It's the truth. Now, how do you teach decision-making? Well, my wife and her motherly wisdom would lay out two or three outfits for them to put on to wear to church. They all matched. You know, the colors were all right. And the kids had to pick one. You don't say to a child, go in there and pick out your clothes for church. Anybody ever do that? How'd that work out for you? You know what I'm saying? They come up with the most outlandish things you ever saw in your life. Now, for, you know, for fun day, that's fine. But for church, let's try. But hey, they had to make a decision. There were, there were three of them there. Pick the one you want. But they're all good choices. Listen, they were all good choices. Say it with me. They were all good choices. When my kids were little, a little, little, we used to have special days with Daddy. Special days. Two questions I had to answer. I didn't answer them for them. I didn't suggest anything. I said, okay, two things. Where do you want to go? And where do you want to, where do you want to go for lunch? It was always the same two things, so I knew what the answer was going to be. It was Toys R Us and McDonald's. <laughs> but they made a choice. I mean, I said, you, you're going to have to choose where we're going to go today. You were going to go here, you know, we'll go to Walmart, we'll go somewhere. But the point is, help them, give them choices. When they start growing up and, you know, picking... They have activities, classes, help them make, make the decisions. Make them make a decision. We, we don't do our children any favor when we continually tell them what they're supposed to do. Let, let them make a choice. Now, I'm talking about good choices now. I'm not talking about bad things. I'm talking about good things. They have, you know, hey, school. Am I going to be in choir? Am I going to be in a band? Am I going to play football? Am I going to be in... Beta club, you know, whatever, whatever, all good choices. Let them choose. They have to learn how to make choices. I, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a snapshot. I may have said this before, but let me tell you how I was raised. My, I'm his own child, by the way. So my dad, 
for graduation of high school bought me a Volkswagen Beetle. It was robin egg blue. And you couldn't find one anywhere. Back in those days, they were, this back in the Old Testament, they were, they were, just, they were hard to find. But dad, my dad, we lived in Pensacola. My dad found one. A friend of his was a, had a business there. He found one in Tallahassee, Florida. The dealership had one. He said, if you save it, I'll be there. So my dad and I drove from Pensacola to Tallahassee, Florida. That's 200 miles uh, to pick up my new Beetle. So we got it. Dad signed paperwork, paid for it, all that stuff. And then as we walked out in the parking lot, Dad threw me the keys and said, I'll see you in Pensacola. And off he went. I'd never driven a stack shift in my life. <laughs> but by the time I got to Pensacola, I knew how to use the clutch. <laughs> now that gives you some hint as to how I was raised. Uh, one, one more. And I, my parents are amazing people. I, I, I could tell you a lot of stories that would help illustrate that. But uh, when, I, when I was in, in high school, Every student in Florida had to take a test called a Florida placement test, and every, every, every senior took it. Well, I'm really good at taking tests. I'm not real smart, but I can take tests really, really well. And I wound up in the top 2% of the state of Florida. Top 2%. So I got a free scholarship, full ride to Florida State. They had a uh, program. They were just instituting a, a kind of an advanced program, and they want the top people to stay in Florida, so they, they offered me a free scholarship. Well, here I am, 18 years old, 7 years old, and I'm trying to decide about what I need to do, and, and I, I knew, you've heard me tell the story, I knew at 16 I had to surrender my life to serve the God, whatever he wanted from me, and um, so I decided that I need to go to Bob Jones. Uh, I felt, the mu- I, was, I was a music, music major, I have a degree in music, and so I thought, well, that, that's a place to get music training. And so I, I told mom and dad I was going to go to Bob Jones. Did you know, not one time ever, did my mom or my dad ever try to talk me out of going to Bob Jones and taking that free scholarship? That's how they raised me. You know, you made a decision. And by the way, it was a good decision. And they knew that. And so therefore, they, they didn't try to talk me out of it. I got to make decisions. But help them to understand that. Majors in college. I mean, you can help them. You need to, you need to guide them. I mean, I like music, mommy. You're probably not going to be a music major, you know. Uh, but look at what they're good at, and maybe you can help them with choices about their college pathway. It makes a big difference, but, but help them to let them make it. Hey, here's another one. Give your kids an allowance and hold them accountable for how they spend it. I know I'm going to make some of you mad today, but that's okay. I'm old. It doesn't matter. <laughs> But you know, a kid needs to learn how to handle money. The first thing you need to teach them is that 10% of that belongs to God. Amen? Amen. Give them an allowance. And by the way, when they spend their allowance, it's all gone until the next time. Help them to understand how money is used. I'm giving you this. And by the way, for that, they do chores and things around the house. That's all That's all given. But help them learn how to do that. Um, Buying gifts at Christmas time. Uh, they are brothers and sisters. Don't go out and buy gifts for the brothers and sisters and say it came from her. You know, let the kids go out and pick it out. They may, they may not pick out what you want. Give them, give them a money, a, a, 
amount they can spend, but go out and let them pick a... Now, point is this. Listen, teach your children how to make decisions. Very important in the process of sharpening them toward what God is going to use them for. And if they can't make decisions, they will struggle. And so many young people today are struggling into their 20s, not having any idea what they want to do with their life. Help them to learn how to make good decisions. And then the feathers. The the purpose of feathers, and I'm I'm not an archery expert, but I do know this. The feathers are what guide the arrow and keep it straight. If you don't have any feathers, the arrow won't go straight. So the feathers means a personal relationship with God. Now listen carefully to this. Understand that your children need and must have, if they're going to do right and be useful to God, that personal relationship with God. All of us who've grown up in Christian homes at some point in time had to decide if what my parents did, am I going to do that? How they lived, am I going to live like that? If, if, if what they say about God is, is true, then what, what do I think about that? that is, that's a real thing. We need to make sure we understand that they need, they must have a personal relationship. How do we know that? How can we tell? Well, one is if they are saved. And and by the way, our children were saved at at an early age. All all three of them were. But we could tell the difference. As they were little children, there were things about, they weren't weren't perfect. Believe me, you know, I could tell you stories. But but they all had a heart for God, even little kids. and And you could tell that. And so having a relationship with God and an interest in spiritual things. I, I never, as a child, as a teenager, my, I never asked my dad, were we going to church today? Because we always did. That's just what we did at our house, right? When my kids grew up, it wasn't any question. And so the idea of, of, of having an interest in spiritual things. And also, as they grow, as, by the way, time, by the time they're in their teens, you should, you should be able to tell. Are they interested in spiritual things? Where's their heart? By the way, you might want to look in their room, what's on their walls. You might want to look at what they're looking at on their computers or their video games or their phone because you need to know where is their heart. Because there is such a thing, I'm almost done, so pay attention to this thing. There is such a thing as a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian is one who knows what to say, who knows how to act, who knows what to say, how to act in church, but they never have been born again. But you can tell by two things. Do they have any interest in spiritual things? Because if they're not, if they're not saved, they have no interest in, in growing or knowing the Bible or, or learning. They don't, they don't care about that. And number two is where's their heart? I mean... What things are they committed to? What things are really important to them? Their heart. And I know that's hard. I remember one time that Paul went, one of our youth pastors, told a wonderful illustration, and I've never forgotten it. It was, it was very helpful to me. He had a, he had a glass here uh, like a, of water. Well, let's use this. Here's a bottle. You can see, I, I tell you, that is water. It has not been opened, right? Okay. So you say, okay. If I ask you what's in that, you would say it's a glass of water, okay? What's in that? <laughs> you don't know what's in there. It could be anything, right? And he said, this is what little children like. 
They talk, they tell you everything. They, they're very open about everything. Here's what teenagers are like. They don't tell you. You know, you have to try to figure out where their heart is, but there, there are little things that give you clues. And that is, where do they want to, who do they want to be with? Hey, birds of a feather. How many times have I heard a parent say, well, my kid was a good kid till they got around those bad kids and it was their fault. No, it wasn't. That's why he chose the bad kids. That's where his heart was. Well, he was a good kid. No, 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 no. Where is your children's heart? Now, you, you can't change their heart like God does. But certainly, you don't need to be naive and to believe that just because somebody has gone to church and behaved themselves, let me tell you something. We had a, we had a girl one time in our church who sang in the choir on Sunday morning and moved in with her boyfriend Sunday afternoon. I was shocked. I was it was terrible. So don't under, don't don't take for granted that just because your kid comes to church that they really have been born again. I know I told you this. Evangelist friend of mine says after preaching as an evangelist for many years, he is thoroughly convinced that half the people who, who attend church every Sunday are not really saved. Now I don't know if I agree with that or not, but he used to, he used to believe that. But I do believe this: it is possible. For somebody to sit in a service every Sunday and not be saved. And to know what to say and know what to do. And nobody would question. Hey, by the way, by the way, Jesus had 12 disciples. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. All of them said, I know who it is. It's Judas, right? No, nobody suspected Judas. He was, he was the one who kept the money. So he lived with Christ and ministered with Christ and was there and heard his sermons and watched the miracles. It was a child of the devil. And nobody knew it. So if that happens in the life of our Lord, it can certainly happen to parents. Now I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm trying to help you understand what we have is important. It is a challenge, yes. But it's also a heritage. There's going to be a time and the time comes very quickly when they walk out the door of our house. And, and for all practical purposes, they don't come back. At least they shouldn't come back. You know, they come back sometimes. <laughs> but the idea is, look, it, it's over. You know, you've done everything. You've, 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 we have so little time to prepare them for the road. And we know what the road is like. And we know what the challenges are. And we, and we should know them and see the, the challenges they're going to have on the road. My youngest grandson started college yesterday. And I, as his loving, wise grandfather, I reminded him of a couple of things he needs to remember when he went to college. Because I know him very well. Now, the last verse of this chapter says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak of the enemies in the gates. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They become a great help to their parents. The right children do. They bring honor to their parents. Uh, the last name, uh, that name, my, my last name is a strange name. It's Sweat, you know. But that name, we need to wear that name proudly if you're a Sweat. 
and people remember that. So they need to be an honor to their parents and they protect their parents in the later years. That's the way God intends it to be. So my friends, we prepare our children for the road. We get them, we know that there's a road out there. We, we know as adults what that road's like. We know that it, it's gotten worse. But remember this, Jesus said there are two roads. There's a broad road and the narrow road. Now I know that in this room, if I ask you which road you want your children to be on, I know what you'd say. I want the narrow road. Yes, I know. And I do too. Because the narrow road leads to life. But the broad road leads to destruction. It always does. And we don't want to take, we don't want to make that lightly. Well, it's just, he's just going through a phase or, you know, he's like, no, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. The broad road leads to destruction. So we need to do everything. Listen, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God, God doesn't take away our responsibility to build. It's just we build with God's plan. Except the Lord, except the, the, the Lord watches the city. The watchman work, waketh but in vain. In other words, we can worry all we want to, but God is the one who watches, and God's the one who protects our children. And we praise God for his goodness and for his mercy and the things that he has done in our family and many of your families. Uh, Pastor Todd mentioned this morning, people that have come out of this church, young people who are out serving God today, and it's a wonderful thing to see. But there are also children who come out of this church who sit in these same seats you're in, have heard the messages, and have gone the broad road and the tragic and sad thing is we know where that road's going to lead. It always does. It leads to destruction of what the Bible says. So prepare your children for the road ahead. Next week we're going to deal with the second area of, of raising children. That's discipline with love. How do you discipline your children? And we'll talk about that next Sunday, next Sunday night. And then we have one more after that. But summer's gone quick for me. Thank you. I appreciate it so much, Pastor Todd, giving me the opportunity to do this. And we have two more. And I appreciate your coming. I never have gotten used to the fact that people come to hear me preach, and I don't take their granted tonight. I don't. You're good. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that is a light unto our pathway, a lamp to our feet and light to our pathway. Or without your word, without the clarity and truth of it, we would wander about as those who have no shepherd. And yet, Lord, not only do we have the word, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to guide us and help us. I thank you for these parents. I thank you for folks who come tonight who listen so very carefully to what I've had to say. And I pray that you would take the words that I said, the scriptures, the things that we've said to help parents and to help people who are concerned, grandparents who want to make a difference in the life of their children. Give us all that urgency and that challenge to make sure that we do everything we possibly can. For Lord, we know when we do what we can do, you do the rest. And I thank you for your goodness and your grace and for your power to do that which we cannot do. And Father, I thank you and we praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has a name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen.